Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Right on. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well, yeah, everybody turned the air condition back on this week. Yeah, we did too. I get it. I get it. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at Renaissance. And uh, as Laramie made mention in the announcement there, that if you missed last week and didn't get a chance to put in your commitment card, uh, you can still do that. In fact, we have an installation out here in our gallery that will make these available to you at any time. So at any point you want to make a commitment to join with us as we try to make more space so more people can come to hear the truth and love of Jesus, you can do that um, at any time. Um, she mentioned also that we had a tremendous response in that capital campaign. So for those of you who, who were a part of that the last three weeks, who filled out a commitment card and all that, thank you so much. Um, I just want to give you a couple pieces of information that I've learned. Um, all the commitment cards aren't fully in yet because I know some people are mailing them in, but I'd like to tell you a few things about that. So um, I mentioned that some people come to Renaissance. They, they call this church their home church, but have never truly like financially supported the church. And we're okay with that. I mean, hear me first off. We don't care about that. Like we, we provide to you a gift. We want to teach you about Jesus. We want to worship uh, with you together as we worship Jesus and all that stuff. And we're not asking you to give us anything. However, those people who have been coming to Renaissance for some time, you're beginning to understand that God has given you resources, right? For example, your time, you're investing that time to the Lord by coming here and God is growing you in that. And now some of you want to make that transition to also follow God and, and support the church, knowing that God is also your provider. God also helps you with your finances, right? And you want to you also follow him in um you know, choosing to give back to the church. So that being said, we had about 31 people who have never given to the church, fill out a commitment card and say they would like to commit to the church and the mission here. So we are thankful for that. That doesn't sound like a lot, but I promise you, if you're one of those, it's a big deal to go from no, nothing to something. That's awesome. And then for those people who already support the church financially, um, you give every week, every month, or whatever it looks like for you. Uh, we ask that you would consider giving above and beyond, that you would give a little bit more for the next couple years so that we can get this space remodeled next door and all of that. And we had about 82 people say, yes, I'm in, I'm all in. I'm going to give you not just what I already support the church with, but I'm going to go above and beyond that and help out. So we're thankful for you guys as well. And then there are uh, several people, many people who just wrote the check, if you know what I'm talking about. And for those of you, we thank you as well, because now we have some cash that we can, we can start the remodel process. So we hope to get started soon. You're going to see lots of, you know, updates on what's happening in the remodel process. Trust me, you're going to get bored of it just like I am, you're, right? It's coming, but we're making more space so more people can come and hear about Jesus. So thank you for that. Please grab a commitment card if you didn't get a chance to last week, put that in the giving box, and we would uh, love to add you to the list.
Um, that said, let's get ready to study the Bible. Who wants to study the Bible? All right, two of us. All right, so. No, that's awesome. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 25 uh, the book of Acts chapter 25 is where we're going to be. We've been studying the book of Acts for some time now, and we're actually going to speed things up a little bit. What we're learning about the book of Acts, particularly towards the end of the book, is it seems to be a lot of the same stories over and over again. I call it the lather, rinse, repeat scenario, right? It's the same thing over and over again. So today I'm going to read the first 12 verses in chapter 25, and then you guys have homework. Say it with me now. Homework. Boo, right? And you guys can read the rest of 25, 26, and 27 on your own. And then we'll preach out of 28 tomorrow or next week. And we're done with Acts next week. Hallelujah, right? He is risen. Somebody. That's right. Awesome. So um, before we read the passage, I want to tell you that if you don't have a Bible with you, it's all fine. We'll put words up on the screen. You can follow along. But maybe you don't have a Bible with you because you don't own a Bible. Look, underneath the seat around you is a hardback black Bible. You can use that Bible while you're here, and if you don't own one, you can take it with you. You can take that Bible with you. Um, you can turn to page 934 in that Bible, and as you're turning there, I just want to catch us up to where we are in the story. It's been a while since we've been studying Acts, so we kind of have to have a refresher course of where we've been and kind of where we're headed. So the, the end of the book of Acts, it involves a, a character whose name is Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, and, and we learn a lot about Paul's life from the second half half of the book of Acts until the end. So it's really about Paul and what God is using him to do um, in what is Asia Minor and Europe in that day. And God has changed Paul's life, okay? He, Jesus Christ came to Paul personally, and Paul, just so you know, was a man who was radically opposed to Christianity, radically opposed, as were some of you, myself included, radically opposed to Christianity until Jesus interrupted that life, and now he is, he is sold out and wants to be used by God to share the truth and love of Jesus or the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to anyone who will listen. And he's been doing that, planting churches for years, 20 years or so he's been doing this. And all the while he's been traveling throughout this region, he's been taking a collection for the home church back in Jerusalem, home base. That's where Paul is from. And he desires to take this offering back to the church in Jerusalem. But he's been warned, both by the Holy Spirit and by a prophet of God by the name of Agabus, not that it matters, but, but he says, listen, if you go to Jerusalem, imprisonment awaits you, affliction awaits you, hardships await you. And what do you think Paul did? He went anyways. That's my kind of guy, right? That's, that's what he did. He went anyways. And so he goes to Jerusalem. The religious leaders there are frustrated with him. The Jews, they, they try to stone him. They're trying to kill him. The Roman authorities see this happen. They rescue Paul out of that and sort of take him to a town called Caesarea because there's been a plot of assassination against his life. And so Paul is holed up in Caesarea under a governor named Felix. Well, Felix is soon succeeded by a guy named Festus, and Festus is coming into the region to be the new governor, the new sheriff in town, and it's right here where we pick up in Acts chapter 25 where, where Festus is coming into the scene. So let's pick up verses 1 of chapter 25. It says, Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, so now he's here, that he goes up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal, principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. They don't like him. And they urged Festus, asking a favor against Paul, that he be summoned to Jerusalem. And why is this? Because they were planning another ambush to kill Paul on his way. 
So think about this. Here's the new governor in town, Festus. The Jewish people come up to him, and they ask a favor. Hey, bro, would you help lead Paul back to Jerusalem? Because um, on his way, we're going to ambush him and kill him. Now, I've asked many a favor of many a people in my life. <laughs> I have yet to ask someone to help me kill somebody else. That's bold move. That's awesome, right? Well, kind of. Not really, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, to be that guy, like, seriously, help me murder someone. That's incredible. But anyways, Festus, right, he sees this. He replies that Paul was being kept in Caesarea, and if they wanted to come up there, they could go up there and do that. So verse 5, so he said, well, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong with Paul, let them bring charges against him. And after that, he stayed with them not more than eight or ten days. He went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal, and he ordered Paul to be brought, to be brought out of his barracks, basically, and sit before them. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, they stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. I love how Luke adds that little detail. They couldn't prove any of these charges against Paul. And so in verse 8, Paul begins to argue his defense. He says, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, well, do you wish to go to Jerusalem? Wink, wink. And there be tried on those charges before me. And Paul said, are you crazy? My words. He says, no, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. He knows he's a Roman citizen. I should be tried here, not in that, that puppet court down in Jerusalem. And he says, I want to be tried here. And to the Jews, I have said it before, I say it again. I have done no wrong. And you yourself know this very well. Verse 11, if though I am a wrongdoer and I have committed anything for which I deserve to die, fine. I do not seek to escape death, he says. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one could give me up to them. So I appeal to Caesar. And then Festus, when he had confirmed with, or conferred rather with the rest of his council, he answers Paul and says, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. So I have a couple things out of this uh, little passage that I want to share with us, but I always find it best if we pray first. So would you bow your heads and help us to understand? So we could pray that God would help us understand. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that without Jesus, we have no right to come before you because we would still be sinful creatures, that your justice and wrath is due to be poured out upon us. But because of Jesus' willingness to take upon the wrath upon himself, we have been rescued from that. And, and when you laid him in a grave, dead, you raised him from the dead on the third day. And our faith in Jesus' resurrection gives us the hope of resurrection too. So we stand before you, God, on the works of Christ alone, not on our own works. We are broken people standing before you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. The power to live this life has been given to us through him. And we receive the Holy Spirit. We thank you for him. And we pray for all of these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God, help us to understand. That's, that's always my prayer. I don't know how you live your life, but I'm always wanting to learn more. I mean, especially when you do dumb things like I do, right? You're just like, gosh, help me not to do that stuff again. So, so here's a great little thing um, that we're learning from Paul's message here. Um, he says, I appeal to Caesar. I, I want to go to Caesar. 
that the religious people have been coming against Paul in great opposition and have been doing so for decades now. Everywhere he goes, he's accosted. He's, he's oftentimes stoned, uh, left for dead, dragged out of the cities, imprisoned. He's beaten, he's scoffed at. There's been assassination threats that we just talked about here. And you could easily surmise why Paul would want to get out of town, right? I'm, I'm done with these fools, these religious people. I'm going to go somewhere else. To be very frank, I feel that way oftentimes too about religious people too, right? I had a friend of mine say this to me once. He says, Jeff, you have this uncanny ability to just rile up religious people. And I said, and likewise, they do the same thing to me just so you know, right? So the feeling is mutual. They don't like me. I don't like them. And I'm not saying I don't like Christians. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying I don't like overtly heavy-handed religious people who think, who think that they have the only way uh, to live life, that they somehow turned their, their faith in Christ into a series of rules to obey and that they have to do it um, the perfect way. And, oh, not only them, but you do as well. You must also do this too. Those religious people and I do not get along. If you are visiting today, <laughs> um, I apologize in advance. I'm serious. I, I, it's not intentional. I, I, I just know that I'm to follow Christ. Paul even says that at one point. He says, why don't, why don't you people follow me as I follow Christ? Christ is the goal. Someone say amen. amen. Woo, I love it. That's exactly right. I told the nine o'clock we have a three cup of coffee minimum now before you can come into the service because they, they could be resurrected. They need resurrected, I'm just saying. But not you guys. You guys are already there. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Uh, things will go smoother if you're a little more vocal to me. That's awesome. So thank you for that. So anyways, um, the, the idea is that Paul just wants to sort of distance himself from religious people, which we could, we could understand, and maybe the threat of violence against his body, which again we could understand. So we could maybe think that what Paul is trying to do is just play the, the safety card. He's just trying to be safe. I just got to get away from these people. I got to protect my life, except that's not what he implies. In, in verse 11, he says, listen, if I've done anything wrong, okay, so be it. If I've done anything that deserves death, that's fine. I do not wish to escape death. Think about this. And the only thing that he's done wrong is to proclaim the truth about Jesus. He's not causing riots. He's not defaming the temple. He's doing none of these things. He's, he's saying nothing against Caesar in Rome. He's just proclaiming the truth about Jesus, and they can't stand it. And so this isn't a safety issue. He's not trying to go to, to Rome or, right, or go to Caesar so he could be safe. That's not it. He's not trying to um, preserve his life, so to speak. In fact, he tells us not long before this, before he's arrested, on his way to Jerusalem when he's, when he's warned, you're going to be imprisoned, you're going to face hardships, people are going to harm you and hurt you. He says, I don't care about this. And he goes, anyways, this is not a, a, a plea for safety here. There's something else at work here. And what is it? This matters to us. If we understand this, this helps us as we live this life, okay? First thing I know is this, is Paul, by his own admission, feels called to share the gospel or the good news, the truth about Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of Christ, all that stuff. He feels called and compelled to teach the gospel, that message of Jesus, to non-Jewish people or the Gentiles, Right? And if I'm going to reach the Gentiles, then I've got to leave this area of Judea or Israel and make my way into the rest of the world. And guess where the capital of the rest of the world lives? In Rome. His appeal to Caesar is an appeal to Rome. He wants to go to Rome. Can you imagine the brilliant apostle 
Paul sitting before academics and philosophers and politicians sharing the truth about Jesus and watching God light a light. <laughs> that was good. Light something. <laughs> I'm smart. I said right here. So he, he brings a light into to the dark world of the Gentiles, into Rome, and watch that spread everywhere. Paul is no dummy. He knows what he's doing. And I know he feels like this is the best use of the rest of my days to go to that place to have the biggest piece of influence. And I was sharing this, just so you know, this morning at 9 o'clock. And as I was saying this, God began to talk to me. And I don't say that flippantly. I mean this. God began to say things to me like, Jeff, then why is it you don't go to some places? I have arguments with God all the time. Why don't you go, Jeff? If what's inside of you can light something that's, that is in the darkness, why, why are you unwilling to go? Really, your insecurity is enough to stop you from going. That's it? Or, or, or is it something else? And, and as he's saying this, I want you to know all of this conversation is taking place in my mind while I'm talking to everyone else. <laughs> You ever try to do two things at once? It's almost unbelievable. But as God is sort of downloading that into my understanding, I'm I'm beginning to understand that my life would be better, my life would look better if I began to look more like Paul here. If I'd be willing to go to a place to use whatever influence, albeit small some days, right, to be used by God for his purposes. And my my fear, my insecurity, my... um, Sometimes I just don't go because I don't want to go. Any married people in a room where your spouse says, hey, we've got to go to the Smiths tonight for dinner, and you're like, oh, my God. I hate them people. <laughs> like, why would we go? Well, they invited us over. We should go. I'm like, why? You know? It's because of this. Maybe, maybe God wants you to share something with him. I don't know. I, again, I, I'm not that overly spiritual guy, but I just believe that God does have a purpose and a plan for my life. And, and I know so because he has one for Paul's. And this is the second reason why I think Paul, he appeals to Caesar, which is, again, an appeal to Rome. I think he understands this one thing, that he has a purpose in his life, and he knows what it is. And his purpose is not to live his life for his purpose. Do you see this? He understands this fully, that his life has been given over completely to God, that he, he no longer sees uh, his own life of any value. And I, I want to point to a verse here in a minute, that he knows God wants to use him for something. So, so I can support that argument. I want you to turn in your Bible just a couple pages back to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And in verse 24, Paul Paul says something. This is that moment when, when the people are warning him, you know, terrible things are coming your way, bro. Are you sure you want to go to Jerusalem? Are you sure this is where you want to take your life? And he says uh, these words in verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, which is this, to testify to the gospel of grace of the grace of God. Let me read that again. Paul says this, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. I just want to finish my course and the ministry that Jesus gave me to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, my life has no value 
to me. Now, here, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying his life has no value. He's just saying the value that I place on my life is subservient to the value that I place on Christ. Do you hear the difference? See, we as Christians, we know this one thing. The Bible informs our understanding that all humanity, hear me, all humanity is made in the image of God. It's called Imago Dei. So we see every human, every human, regardless of caste system, color, skin, socioeconomic standing, addiction status, non-addiction status, homeless, not homeless, every person has value in the sight of God, both the born and the unborn. Yes. Thank you. And it's because we are made in his image. We are above all other creatures, all of them. And I like me some animals, right? <laughs> Cows and pigs especially, they taste really good. I like animals, but, but we are above those. We are made in the image of God. He's saying, I have value, I just know where it is in my life. You see this? He goes, and I want to finish something. I want to finish the race or the course of the ministry that God has given me. One of the most frustrating things I find about Christianity, and um, I'm just, I know you have frustrating things as well. You just aren't maybe so um, uh, quick to, to state them publicly like I am. But one of the things that I'm frustrated about the Christian living is, is this moment that you never fully finish. You never graduate. I always hoped I could get to some point of understanding or level of faith where I can go, oh, phew, done. Sit in a recliner and watch college football. That's, that's my desire, right? But, but faith doesn't look like that. We, we are never finished. Guess when we're finished, right? When you say it with me, die. And your graduation party is called awake, and everyone celebrates it when you're dead. That's the graduation. That's the finish. So this is, this is what Paul is saying. There's no, there's no finish line just a few years out, a couple weeks out. And he's saying, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to do this ministry until Christ himself takes me. And the same would be true for us. That we don't run hard for a season, young people, because you have energy. We don't have excuse old people because we're tired and, and cranky. We have, we have no excuse. We are called to live this life for Christ. The value that we place on our life, again, is beneath what the value that we place upon Christ. And because of that, we are compelled, listen to me, compelled to continue. We don't stop when we want to. We always move forward. And he says, and I want to do this until I finish. And what is this? Is to testify to the grace of of God. How, how freeing is it to walk up to people that you know who've tried religion, tried church, somehow been uh, sold a bill of goods that they got to do better, try harder, obey uh, all the rules, dot the I's, cross the T's, and you walk in with this, this gospel of grace that says, no, my friend, you don't earn it. You can't buy it. You're not good looking enough. Talking to you, Keith. You're not... <laughs> right? You, you, nothing brings this to you. God, through his grace, gives it to you. and You receive it. Now, if that's not the most liberating thing you've ever heard, you're not listening. That's huge. 
Just, I want to do this forever. I want to share this message to anyone who will listen, and I will do so again until Christ is finished with me. And then I'll be done. And so he's saying all of these things. And I love this. Um, for the next three chapters, as I sort of gave you homework earlier, you see this played out. That he stands before another king, Agrippa. Agrippa and his wife Bernice come before him and they ask, well, why are the Jews mad at you? Because I believe Jesus is raised from the dead. Again, lather, rinse, repeat. He tells his story of his conversion and on and on it goes. And they finally put him on a ship to send him to Rome. He faces adverse weather conditions. The ship is shipwrecked. He barely escapes with his life, lands on an island, warms himself by the fire, goes to grab a stick to throw it on the fire. It's not a stick poisonous snake is what that is. And the snake grabs a hold of his arm. All the natives freak out because they're like, that snake kills people. And yet Paul is walking around just fine. A miracle takes place. And I wonder why. Because he is absolutely in the will of God doing exactly what God wants him to do. You're not finished, Christ says, until you get to Rome and do what you have called you to do. You hear this. There's a purpose for our lives. You know that, right? The purpose is just like Paul's, though. It's not to live for our own purpose. See, this is the rub that I had when I was studying this. I'm like, why on earth um, does my life not look like this? Who would be bold enough to admit that with me today? Why does my life not look like this? Is Paul just peculiar? Sure, he's a little peculiar, but is this a specific call on that specific person some 2,000 years ago? Or, or maybe I posit before us, is this actually an example that the Bible is giving us for the normal Christian experience? Ha ha, yes, because we oftentimes say, well, I really wish the church would be more like the church in the book of Acts. And the reason we say that is because in the book of Acts is when the church first started, before it was adulterated with all kinds of crime and all kinds of uh, uh, jockeying for positions of power and all kinds of craziness. Before all of that took place, it was people who sold everything they had and they shared it with everyone so no one had any needs. And we say, boy, I wish the church looked more like that. Really? You say that, do you? <laughs> boy, I wish my life looked more like that. Really? Because to live a life like that means you have, to, you have to devalue your own life over Christ's. And not many of us want to do that. I say these things not to bring any bad feelings or shame or guilt upon us. That is not my motivation. My motivation is to hopefully expose this. The culture and the world we live in is radically fighting for your identity and your purpose for your life. The world is telling you something else that the Bible is not telling you. You know what the world tells you? And if you don't like it, if you don't like something in your life, then you change it. Bro, this life is yours. Live it. What was the, uh, the fast food slogans? You can have it your way. Your way? Remember growing up when mom made dinner? If you even raised your voice like, can I have something else? They just took it away from you. And I can't, was it McDonald's or Burger King? Doesn't matter, but you can have it your way, your way. If, listen, if you don't like your job, if your boss is difficult, your coworkers are frustrating, which for the record, that's the, the role of the coworkers to be frustrating to you, right? If you don't like it, then what's, what's the world tell you? Quit and go get another one. If you don't like this area, whatever you do, you don't like this major change. If you don't like your spouse, quit it. Get another one. This is what the world tells us. But the Bible looks radically different. The Bible is an assault against that self-preservation mentality. And Paul 
lives this for us. He lays this out for all to see. Luke records the story so we could read it and understand it differently. This is not a self-preservation move. This is Paul living the life that God has placed him to live. This is his purpose, and his life does not mean as much as, as we make our lives mean. The danger in living a life like this, the, the danger in living a life that is all about you is, is twofold. Number one is you will always, hear me, you will always be dissatisfied in this world forever because that, that shiny new thing will lose its luster. The, the, uh, the excitement of travel to that new city or that new job or that new girlfriend, all of that stuff will fade the glory that you have somehow attributed to it, if it even has any glory, is vestigial and left over from God anyways. What I mean by that is this, is that God is infinite and the creator of everything. And when we worship other things, when we put glory onto other things, if we find our life's meaning in other things, they're created things, not the creator of the things. Do you hear this? And the danger in that is, because, is, is we will find dissatisfaction always and forever because those created things are not meant for our worship. They're not meant for glory. There is one intended for glory. His name is Jesus. There is one that we worship in heaven for eternity. His name is Jesus. It is not the new SUV. It is not the vacation home. It is not the 401k. It is not any of those things. It is not your relationships with your other people. It is Christ. Paul, on his third missionary journey, as he's being uh, abused and, and, and beat up and imprisoned, he writes a letter to, to Rome. He says, listen, bro, I'm coming to tell you the greatest message ever. And in his letter, we call it Romans, Romans chapter one, he says this, people thought they were becoming wise, but they became fools. In Romans chapter one, he says, because people began to worship the created things over the creator. It's foolishness for us. So we will always be dissatisfied. There is always a new iPhone, iPhone eight, anyone? Anybody gonna get iPhone 10? It's $1,000. Is anyone getting one? I'm getting one. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> I'm just, I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm getting one. When it's time for an upgrade, I will get one. I'm, of course I will. Right? But hear me in this. If, if, all, if I'm just trying to suck life's... I know you're saying. If I'm trying to suck life's meaning from those things, that's the danger. To live a life with an understanding that Christ wants to use you and spend you to share the message of hope and, and the forgiveness of sins, that's the real message, right? That's where joy is truly found, not in this other stuff. The second danger of all of this is, not, number one, we're dissatisfied with our lives. But the second thing, and maybe the more, most heartbreaking of all, is that it produces weak and anemic faith. That if we are given a choice whether freely or by force, to choose to live our own life or to choose Christ's life. And we choose ours, we never understand the work that God can do in our lives. Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, his friends, he says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to, then you must pick up your cross daily, he says, and follow me. And what does that mean? It means this, you must daily put yourself 
to death. What a great bedtime story. <laughs> hey, Timmy. <laughs> I mean, think about this. It's just, this is the most upside down, backwards thinking of all. And that is the assault that the gospel has on our culture. The culture says, if you want to be first, be first. What's the Bible say? If you want to be first, be last. Which is a great scripture to quote at Thanksgiving buffet, I'm just saying. As, as everyone clamors to the front of the line, you just quote that right out of Matthew and watch everybody shuffle to the back, and then you just go first. Because you didn't fight for it, it's just opened up, right? That's how that works. You're welcome. You're welcome. But if we don't, if we don't choose Christ over self-comfort, self-care, self-preservation, we'll never see him move in the miraculous way that will cause our faith to increase. We have been given faith to believe in Christ. And it's from that beginning point, God sends us on a journey to follow him in faith. And if we choose ourselves over him every time, every opportunity, we are no longer growing in our faith. We are but children, should be eating meat, should be living a life of meat, but we're still sucking a nipple for milk. Do you hear this? God wants us to grow up and it requires to set our own desires for our own lives our own lives aside and to follow Christ fully and completely. Again, none of this is to bring shame or guilt. It's for you to see that the world is fighting you in this. Jesus is standing with you in this regard, but the world is telling you something else. You need to know the world is lying to you, desperately trying to get you to stop to do this. To, to grow in faith, to see our uh, miracles performed, to see God meet every possible need, and on and on it goes. Our faith increases, and we become stronger and stronger and stronger. And I wonder if you and I couldn't bend down, be struck by a poisonous snake, and it not bother us too. Think about this. That's Paul's life. That's Paul's choice to live that way. Um, when Jesus says that we are to take up our cross daily and, and die, it's not that he's calling us to die physically, right? I mean, you understand that. Um, but I need you to hear me. But there have been people who have been asked to die. Uh, all of the apostles, save one, John, uh, were, were martyred. They were crucified for their belief, <laughs> for their belief in Jesus. Now, how do you think they got to that place when someone held a knife to their throat or a gun to their head. How do you think they got to that place? Do you think that was their first exercise of faith right there? No. No, the only way anyone could mature to that level where someone asks you, which do you choose? And you choose Christ at the knife? The only way you get to that place is by living small, little choices over and over and over again by choosing Christ instead of yourself, choosing Christ instead of yourself, choosing Christ instead of yourself. And what does this look like? I don't know. It means first we understand that this life is not ours to be lived. Martin Luther calls, calls this the great exchange, that Christ died our death. We deserve it. We should be punished. We should be laying in a tomb right? Christ bears that upon himself. He takes that death and then exchanges what? His life for us. Our lives are no longer 
our lives. They belong to someone, someone who's purchased them, purchased them with the most precious thing ever, his own blood. Do you hear this? I love you, but you do not get to choose. He chooses. He leads. We follow. The world says something else. If you're listening to that message, you're not listening to the gospel of Jesus. You're listening to something else altogether. A dangerous gospel. A gospel that will set you up for disappointment. When we worship other things and we try to eke joy and pleasure and and glory from created things, um, it just wreaks havoc in our bodies. I talk to people who are addicted all the time. I've overcome addiction in my own life. I get it. And what what I have come to understand now is I did not have an alcohol problem. I had a worship problem. I worshiped the feeling I got from that. I worshiped the courage I got from that. I worship everything else. You hear this. I know the body then kicks in and and physical addiction takes off. I get it. But the root in all of that is a worship issue. We are worshiping created things, trying to find life's meaning in created things instead of going to the creator. Hey, man, I really want to thank you for inviting me to that church. I had the most fun time I've ever had in my life. I've never felt so uplifted in all my life. You know what? I think I will come back next week. No one says that. I mean, I can see it on your faces. This isn't easy. I know. Lovingly, I would warn you, if you ever go to a church and and you walk out happy every week, find a different church. If you walk out going, man, I can do anything. If you walk out saying, oh, I feel so good. feel like you got a little taste of sugar on your tongue. If you ever feel that every week, find a different church. If you are not challenged by this message, this, this hurts me. This is painful for me. I, I struggle with this. I choose myself over Christ all the time. All the time. I do that. I don't think Paul is unusual. I think this is what God has for us. I think this is how we're supposed to live. This idea of death, um, I'm finishing here just so you know. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, This idea of, of death, of putting to death our desires, our own natural desires over the things of God um, is challenging for us. But, but know this, that the eventual death of our physical bodies, it no longer is a threat to us, right? For those of us who are in Christ, death, the Bible tells us, has lost its sting. See, we take our last breath here and our next breath in eternity, and that's awesome. Again, where Jesus is glorified, where Jesus is worshiped, where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more tears. But I want to share with you a quote that I ran across this last week by a, a pastor named John Piper. Anybody know John Piper? He says this, for the Christian, eternal life has already begun. It already has started. Why on earth would we wait to get there to do that which he's called us to start here? 
Paul knew this. Paul understood this. He, he spent himself on God's plan. That's all God asks of you. You want to know what your purpose in life is? Hear me. It is not to live your purpose. <laughs> live his. So I want to pray for us and we'll... I'm going to ask, seriously, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm like, God, shake us awake. God, we're in a dangerous place. We are treading in deep water here. We, we need rescued from this false gospel that the world is telling us. We need the truth about Jesus. And when I pray these things, I'm going to ask you guys, if you want to, you, you don't have to, but whenever someone around me prays and I agree with them, I say amen. You know what amen means? It means I agree. It's just a churchy way of saying it, right? So when someone's praying and they say something that I agree with, I go, yep, amen. I agree with that. Yes, amen. As I'm praying, if you want to, you can say amen. You don't have to pray what I'm praying, but if what I'm saying speaks to you, you say yes, and God will hear that. He already knows your heart anyways. So let's pray together, shall we? God, I thank you for our time. God, your love for me is so great that you refuse to leave me reckless to my own abandonment of chasing my own dreams over your dreams, Lord. God, I do this. I know I don't have to come to you seeking forgiveness as Christ has already secured that for me. But God, I, I confess to you, I do this. I choose me over you all the time. I choose comfort over you all the time. I choose safety over you all the time. I choose security over you all the time. And at the end of my days, Lord, I want to say that I finished a course, a race of ministry to share the grace of Christ to everyone. I do not wish to accumulate treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. I want to be spent for you, Lord. And because I have this new understanding through your Holy Spirit, I'm asking the same Holy Spirit to empower me to change. If you want to change, say, I just want to change. Just say, amen, I want to change. God, change us. God, I pray as one of the leaders in this church that I would always and forever make this church subservient to your will. This church doesn't and is not allowed to take on its own desires and wants. No way, God. Your will, always and forever. God, help us. Help us. It is better for us. The abundant life that Jesus speaks about is in this surrender. The lie of, of the enemy, of, of the culture, says that this, this life to follow Christ is boring and harmful. It is not. It is the full life that God has for us. None of us will have any regrets at the end of our days if we live this life for you. God, we thank you for our time. I ask that you bless us and that you empower us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. 
And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.